0: Welcome to another episode of Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all over a nice cold beer. I'm Mike Yagley. And I'm Evan Gittner. So we're going to continue with our discussion on uh, on Luther's winter postal, um, released, I'm going to say, I think 1521. uh, And then he went back and went through it many, many times after that over the course of his life. Uh, In the past several episodes, we covered the the first, second, and third Sunday, uh, the first and second Sunday in Advent,
1: the Gospels and the Epistle reading, Right. and now we're arriving to the third Sunday in Advent. We're going to look at the Epistle for that in the historic one-year liturgy lectionary, which for Luther's time, I mean, that was the lectionary. Now we have a one-year lectionary or a three-year lectionary. Um, I'm going to start us by reading the text. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they may be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself But I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart, Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So... What I really like more so than any of the postals we've done so far is how Luther guides the preacher in studying God's Word and equipping him to bring that into the intersection of life. I mean, that's, that is, in the end, the task of a preacher, is to take something that is in the past and bring it into the present and have it influence our future. But the way he looks at 1 Corinthians 4 and tries to understand what was going on with Paul And then to bring that into the moment of the crossroads that he's in with conversations between Rome and uh, authorities and what does it mean to have left the authority of the Pope, but to still have the authority of scriptures, but now also to live under the authority of an emperor. I think he does an excellent job in his comments on this epistle to kind of bring out that challenge of what it means to be a steward of God's mysteries in a time period when authority is in question.
0: That's you know, one of the things I really liked about this uh, is the way, and and he he starts right off with it, where he he ties it back to previous discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first paragraph here, uh, this epistle gives us an example of the gospel of the gospel for the first Sunday in Advent. And if you remember our discussion on the first Sunday in Advent, that was Christ coming into Jerusalem. That's the Palm Sunday reading. And uh, and it's, it talks about the apostle or the disciples going down and getting the colt, and and he had a lot of discussion on that. And so he pulls that back in again right here, and he says that you know Paul, this is an example of Paul not riding the colt, but instead leading the donkey to Christ for him to ride.
1: So, of course, this is nice as a preacher because he's bringing it into the context of the liturgy. When are you hearing this text? you 're not just randomly hearing First Corinthians four, but as a preacher, your audience is going to be hearing it in the context of advent and having heard of the the colt and Jesus arriving with the loud hosannas, and now he is equipping i mean this is what the postals are they're ultimately commentaries on the text designed purposely for preachers. To get better at reading the scriptures for the purposes of proclaiming it, and he's placing it into a liturgy into the the historical context of
0: uh three Sundays now into advent and 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 it also it it draws as a as a parishioner it sort of draws in it's almost like a a weaving of the gospel and the epistles and the whole season together yeah and and so you you, you sort of pull yourself back and and you think about what came before as, as we start getting into this, it brings us right back to Christ the King. You know, that, that Christ, this, by saying this, by beginning with this, Luther is, is, is reminding us that Christ is the King. And, and what's interesting about that is in the context of First Corinthians, Luther, Luther starts out by saying Christ is the King by bringing us back to that, that Palm Sunday. And then even in that first paragraph, he says, and remember, this whole epistle is about, you know, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. And so there's this this question of of church authority. And, And Luther is, I think, going to be building to there's only one authority. It's Christ. It's Christ. And if you have
1: someone that's leading your church and they're riding the cult instead of Christ, then they're not a steward of the mystery. They are trying to become the mystery themselves. Right, right. And so this brings us to our first verse in this lesson. This is how everyone should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So the power that's given to leaders of the church, um, St. Peter, St. Paul, uh, even apostles, bishops, pastors today, uh, we are being governed by the task that is given to us. We are governed... We are not the governors of the task.
0: We are being governed by the task. And what is that task? That task is serving Christ by carrying out the office that Christ has commanded whoever, mm-hmm. the bishop, the pastor, the priest, whatever whatever role that person has been given within the church. Every
1: role has as as its foundation to be a servant of Christ. And so Luther will talk a little bit about how there can be different servants. uh, And we all are ultimately leading to Christ, whether it's in prayer, fasting, going to church, uh, living inside of an institution, cloisters, the whole clerical estate of what he calls worship. It's nothing more than being a servant to Christ. And he said there can be all sorts of invented words. There can be invented works. There can be all these sorts of things that the church creates to obscure the task. But it's pretty simple. Be a servant of Christ.
0: What I really like is in this next section where Luther starts talking, and I'm getting into paragraph four, where Luther makes this distinction of being a servant to service from Christ, where, where Christ has given you, Orders and you're carrying out those orders, rather than a servant to Christ, which is where you're serving yourself somehow. Mm-hmm. You're you're sort of trying to impress Christ or I'm bringing
1: myself up to Christ. I am doing something to right. get closer to Christ. No, Christ has come to us, and now we are working with Christ to bring Him to others. Uh, so it comes from Christ, not to Christ. What a, a great thing to highlight, Mike.
0: Yeah, there's, Luther has this, uh, and I, I I highlighted this this little, uh, now listen, dear, and this is a quote from Luther. Now listen, dear man, I always sort of like with he, uh, you, hey, fella. <laughs> now listen, dear man, in St. Paul, serving Christ and serving God means principally to carry out an office that Christ has commanded to him, namely preaching. It is a service which goes from Christ and not to Christ, and which comes not from us, but to us. And so there's this this humble receiving of this this what is ordained to us. You know that I think that Luther's trying to drive at here um where it's a ministry. It's something we it's something that we is uh, it's it's, a, it's a, something that we are given to 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 serve others. And then he talks about different words that can be used for mystery and
1: he almost and he has kind of a language play from ministeria, ministratio, ministrari. So he's looking at service. And then he has all these words in Latin that have that mini uh, ministry. And then he goes into that word mystery. And I, I think that's an interesting word play to kind of think about is that our ministry and our mystery are connected to one another. The service we
0: have is the unveiling Of the mystery, especially for a pastor. And it's sort of, you know, as, as a lay person, I, of course, I I have a, I have a ministry also, Mm -hmm. Um, but my ministry is not a mystery. There's, that's a special category for pastors. You know, I think, I think that those who are given to, 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 as to, to, to serve that mystery of God is, is a special category, you know?
1: And so then every preacher has to make sure he doesn't set himself up as another head nor exalt himself as another Lord or as another Christ. But he keeps the community all together, being led towards the one Christ. Uh, Lords and superiors and heads. That's kind of on Luther's mind in 1521. His head itself is at at stake. You know, the emperor himself placed himself into a position of where he could take his head and declare him as an outlaw. He has the challenges of archbishops and, and leaders of huge ministry groups writing to him and frustrated with the division he's bringing to the church. And he might have to have some humility. Am I doing this? Am I placing myself in this reformation as a new head, as a new superior? And so this text is somewhat self-reflective for Luther, that he has to remind himself, what I'm doing is I want to make sure that people are able to see Jesus, yeah. and that I don't set myself up in this Reformation as some
0: new vanguard. It's interesting, because, um, I th- and I think you're exactly right, that that's, you know, Luther often talked about, just burn all my books, you know, just just go to the Bible. And, and so he was always trying to pull himself out of that spotlight. And, you know, as we look back at Lutheran church history, there were many times, uh, especially in the 1800s, I think, in early 1900s, where Luther, it's like, well, if Luther said it, it's, you know, uh, they did place him above where he should have been. And and I think the the church was poorer for it. You know, I think right now it's, you know, there, there's uh, the scholarly movement to look at at the, at the work of Luther as being more uh, uh, collegial. And, and I think that's good because that, that collegial nature is what we need today also. we need
1: to Well, because the contrast is people like to revel in his ability to hurl curses or insults, not curses, but insults, the invective Luther, the Luther right. that seems to just put a, a dagger into any sort of ecumenical conversation. And that's not in the end. I mean, his goal is to unify the body of Christ.
0: So Luther goes into, um, moving on to uh, uh, paragraph six, um, where Luther talks about, well, what does, uh, what does correct governance look like? And he gives, first of all, he gives the example of Gideon. And, and when, when he talks in Gideon, it says, uh, Gideon was asked, hey, rule over us, you and your grandson. And Gideon answered, and this is Judges 8. I will not rule over you and my children will not rule over you. God will rule over you. And that's, that's where, you know, I think what Luther is getting at here is that, that temptation for, for especially religious leaders. Um, it's, I, I, I remember when I was, uh, very young and I always looked at the, as the, at the pastors and the priests and the different religious leaders as being sort of, I don't know holier than the rest of us, right? And sort of gotten over that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you and I stand here drinking a beer together, you
1: get the reality that I'm I'm a guy who, yeah. who enjoys life and love and and the world that I live in and I want to stay focused on what God's word is all about and but I'm I'm a servant of Christ just as anybody else would be.
0: Yeah. And, and I think Luther, especially in the Middle Ages, you know, the Catholic Church had really juiced that up, right? There was this, this era of the Middle Ages where, you know, the Pope was above the Emperor. And, you know, that really started with Charlemagne and it carried forward. And, you know, there were, um, the people really did fear the church. And this was, uh, this was an era when, when, you know, Priests and the Pope and the bishops were seen as being you know greater than everybody else, and so luther is 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 really making a huge stand for his era I mean we see it even today, but in his era, this was a a a big statement to say, no, you know God, you follow God, you don't follow men so then the next uh, this is getting into the second half of paragraph seven. Luther talks about David uh, in Psalm 7. And in Psalm 7, Luther quotes, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Help me again toward the office that you have committed to me. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered to you again for their sake return on high. The Lord is judge over the people. So, so Luther uses this as another example.
1: Where and he needs to do that because he's just described judges in this kind of idyllic moment when Gideon is like, we don't need a king, Lord, because we've got you. No, we've got David. He's <laughs> no, a king. A king. Now so how here. do we deal with this fact that the people of God do have a king? Well, he, Luther points out, well, what kind of king was David? He was a king that would seek to keep the Lord as the Lord. And that his job as king wasn't to judge the people and to rule over the people, but to be a servant to God as he
0: served in that role as a king. And the interesting thing you, know, you bring up that, you know, uh, in the first part we have during the era of judges, the second one is the era of, the, of, the, of kings with David. And Luther, the next section Luther goes to is right at that tipping point where, uh, where uh, the people are asking for a king. And then Samuel is sort of irritated by that, right? And and God says, "This is First uh, Samuel eight seven, where God says they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me." And and so what what Luther says is that this is this is what it means when 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 authorities presume to rule with human doctrines; they're no longer servants of Christ but they're looking to rule for themselves. And this is kind of going to lead into
1: his two-kingdom theology idea that when we look to humanly authorities to answer our spiritual concerns, we're never going to be satisfied. We need to always make sure we're looking to God for our spiritual concerns and trust the authorities that God has placed in this world for our bodily needs. And he's telling Samuel that people are
0: all confused. Uh, yeah, and and you know it's funny even even today and i don't think this is that this particular era is particular is very unusual you know people are always getting the two kingdoms mixed you know there's this this sort of bringing politics into religion and religion into politics not that there's no room for that but you know there's the, a, the ultimate the ultimate goal of this human authority government we have
1: is not to bring me to christ and when I expect them to bring me, probably more likely, when I expect them to bring others to Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always somebody else who has to, yeah. Yeah. Then, then, of course, I'm going to be dissatisfied with the human government that God has provided to us. And if I look to the church to answer all the bodily needs that I have, or why doesn't the church have a topic about this, a, a statement on this? Why doesn't the church have a statement on this? And we ask the church to have all sorts of social statements on the social issues that the government has been given to do. And we get frustrated with the church because it doesn't have a social statement on this. Or maybe we get frustrated because we've got a church body that produces a bunch of social statements on stuff that the church starts to get out of its lane and speak about. It just brings to a, a reminder what confusion happens when we expect the
0: wrong thing from the wrong group. And, and you know, it's so true that the, you know, the, the church, first and foremost, actually, the The only function of the church, everything else that the church does is to serve the gospel. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to lose sight of that with all the chaos and confusion that's happening in the world. That the church, people within the church want to bring the church into this and bring the church into that. And it really loses the focus. And Luther says, uh, he starts talking about this and he says, this is really a form of idolatry yeah you know, he's he's saying there's either Christ alone and his word alone or Christ has been rejected well we cannot be Christ's servants and teach our own words and so it, it's this sort of this sort of uh you know once we we start going i'll say extra biblical. Mm -hmm. You know, once we start going extra biblical and we're, we're bringing our own words into the teachings of the of the church,
1: then we become our own special Lord, our own Christ. And we've made ourselves up to be a savior for others and that they have to listen and follow and can be compliant to us if they want to stay on the right path rather than us pointing to Christ, who is the way. So then, Luther in paragraph ten starts to point out how the papacy has become this form of idolatry. When the papacy and its canon law, its doctrines of clerics, monks, and universities, they try to teach something other than Christ's words, um, and that. He says they keep demanding that we treat them as Christ's
0: servants, but they're not doing the work of Christ. There's all this extra biblical stuff that's piled on top of the, the Christian witness.
1: And so this is where then he describes the, the Catholic Church at his time, the papacy, as being a part of the kingdom of the Antichrist and servants of the devil. And this may require some explanation uh, for Lutherans and conversations with Catholics today. Uh, probably not the best thing for your ecumenical <laughs> conversation to remind them that, oh, you you go to a church that obeys the Pope. Did you know you're a part of the kingdom of the Antichrist? And that you've become a servant of the devil.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, can I get you a beer? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and by, by the way. way we're going to have a long conversation here. <laughs> so why why does
1: Luther bring up the Antichrist? It is... Because that's how the scriptures describe the Antichrist. One who sets himself up inside the church, places himself on a throne higher than Christ, and then tries to take people away from God. And that's what he has seen
0: happening in the papacy at his time period. There's a great uh, uh, video on YouTube uh, put out by Lutheran Satire. And uh, uh, they have a, a, a Lutheran pastor... Meeting a Catholic lay person, and the Catholic lay person is saying about their attitude toward the. the, the we're we're pretty much the same. Right? Well, they're actually saying they're saying you know. Uh, how how much respect they have for the priests and how you know they're they're really you know, they're just going on about all this stuff. Okay. That uh, is and and the the pastor goes, oh, I would so want to sheep steal you, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to have someone be so obedient and compliant. Okay. And, and, and that's sort of I would have to go. I haven't seen that. I saw that like a year ago. We'll link so. to it in the the show notes. Uh, yeah, we'll find it. We'll find it. But but it's it's one. Of those things where I think as we as we talk about there 's a difference between the uh, Catholic laity and the Catholic our, uh, authorities, and when we talk about when there 's this discussion on the antichrist the Catholic structure i 've heard Lutheran pastors even today call it you know the Antichrist, the Church of the Antichrist, and all this, and i don 't know what they 're saying, but your average Lutheran hears it differently. and then, They hear it as a, a triumphalistic,
1: we're not the Antichrist, you guys are, and kind of divide people into two parties and two groups. We're good guys, you're bad guys. When really, it's of a grave concern that Luther has that there is a working inside the church that's taking people away from Jesus. Yeah, right. So I think it's time for a beer break? Yeah, so today's beer is uh, by Three Floyds. It's called Zombie Dust. An undead pale ale. Um, We are recording this in October, the frightful season that it is. And I have heard of an India pale ale, an English pale ale. The undead pale ale is a new one for me. It is a new one for me as well. And it says this intensely hopped and uh, gushing undead pale ale will be uh, ones that only respite after the zombie apocalypse and it's been created with our marvelous friends in the comic industry. And art is by Tim Seely. So they, they really have a lot of joy in the artwork of the can besides just the taste of the beer as well. In terms of it, it tastes like a lot of IPAs I've had before. Yeah, It's got a nice little grapefruit and a little bit of a hoppy flavor.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying this one. It's uh, it's a nice uh, it's it's I, I think it's almost like an all day IPA. It's you know? a
1: little bit wa- more watered down. It's not yeah. one of those double IPAs where you know someone has tried to get as much alcohol by volume as they can. It's six it's, and a half percent. I mean, not that no, it's, striking it's, of a strength of alcohol by volume, and the taste is um, not too
0: harsh. It's not very harsh at all for an IPA. IPAs can be can be pretty rough. Um, and uh, and this one is uh, it's it's a pretty smooth drinking IPA, uh, great for this time of year. Nice fall drink. Um, I, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, I I'm not a big fan of IPAs in the summertime, but now it's getting getting to be fall, winter, and I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for my IPAs.
1: So three Floyd's Brewing, Munster, Indiana. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike, for bringing this beer to my horizon. Okay, so we're returning back to the epistle reading for the third Sunday in Advent. Luther's comments so far are still all on that first verse of our lesson. Uh, Remind ourselves what that first verse is. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's been talking about that responsibility of being a steward.
0: So he gets into this, this steward is an expert in household affairs. And that's sort of the next place he goes. It's funny how much time he spends on that single sentence, that phrase, mm-hmm. really. Um, and and he talks about God's house is is uh, like the the Christian church, and pastors and bishops are the house experts, are the stewards. Um, and but all Christians are God's servants, and most care for God's physical world, but pastors and bishops have to care for the invisible world, and that's a, like we said. Earlier in our discussion is that there is a the mysteries. Uh, as an engineer, I'm 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 interested, but I have not been called by God to to preach and to 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 to
1: handle the the, the sacraments. But Mike, that that the key point isn't as much of division between who is called or not called. That's not something he focuses on. No, it's not. nearly as much as what you talked about there. That that metaphor of the visible. Things that are in a household that a manager has to take care of. We can all kind of see a household and know that there's responsibilities of how much money's coming in, how much money's going out, how cared for, what capital projects need to be done for. But he, that connection he makes to the invisible household of faith and the caretaking of the souls. That's what the steward of these mysteries is responsible for. The steward of these uh, mysteries is the one who has
0: charge over the household affairs of the communion of saints? And he goes right into um, he says talking about how we you know we take care of I you will know, say laity take care of uh, the, uh, the 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 visible things of the house, but he says he separates the stewards of God from all other bodily stewards. The latter give visible bread and govern the bodies, but the former give invisible food and govern the souls. And that's where I think he's sort of alluding to. That's what I was sort of getting to. The sacraments is what I I sort of think he's talking about. It is, is very much what he's talking about. In, in Greek world, the Greek Orthodox Church, the
1: word for sacrament is the mysterion. And that would be even in his time period, that question of what are these mysteries? They're not secret, hidden. In some book far away (laughs) that you have to have a magical gnostic. (laughs) No, it's not a Gnostic reading at all. And that was the joy of using the word mystery um, in the scriptures is that they're poking fun at the Gnostics who have these secret mysteries that no one knows about except to the initiated. And they said, we've got the sacraments which have been instituted by Christ. And here are the words of the sacraments. He's even going to go on later in 1 Corinthians and tell us the very words of institution. These aren't things he's trying to
0: hide. They're the things he's trying to distribute. Right, right. Uh, going on to um, uh, 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 paragraph 16, he says, What then are the mysteries of God? None, nothing other than Christ himself, that is, faith and the gospel about Christ. All that is preached in the gospel, which is far beyond our thinking and reasoning, and is hidden from the world, cannot be attained except only through faith. And and he's so he's he's going into this this that and that's the you know this this world of faith. Yeah, I'm going back to you know my my book the or the the Bible study. Uh, well, let's
1: um, talk about that book
0: for a moment, Mike. Let's, <laughs> so we got some good news. It's out in the world, right? It is. It is. It is available. On, and what's the name of your book? Um. Uh, my Soul Magnifies
1: the Lord. And it is a Bible study, a study, kind of a, a, a an
0: examination of the, the Magnificat. Mag- the Magnificat. So if you go to solopublishing.com and just type in, rather than go hunting for it, just type in, they have a little search bar, type in the Magnificat and it'll show up there. Uh, my, my Soul Magnifies the Lord. And the intended audience for this book? they uh, Anybody who's interested in... in uh, a little bit deeper understanding of the Magnificat, uh, and this is really about handling those great gifts that God gives us of wisdom, power, and wealth and and we all have plenty of of those things education um, influence and and of course, we have greater wealth than anybody in all of history has had and and you know i 'm sort of when when we talk about this um, you know, this, this faith, there's a chapter in there that talks about the difference between the spirit and the soul. And the, the soul in, in Luther defines the soul as being that portion of ourselves that it's sort of like the mind, our personality, our wit, those things that you can see and reason with about yourself and about others and about the world. But the spirit, according to Luther and his biblical understanding of the spirit is that the spirit is that which lays hold of things incomprehensible. It doesn't comprehend the incomprehensible. It lays hold of them. It is the place of faith. It is the world of faith. So in a trichotomy of body, soul, and spirit, the body is our
1: physical moving and shaping ourselves into this world. Our, our soul is that conscious will that we have to do things and reason with things and, and logic through things. We can make some decisions. Uh, some of that moral curve we have to things, but the spirit is that trusting relationship that we have with God that's been given to us by the spirit, even thinking back to the creation of man in Genesis 2 and God breathed the spirit into the man and he was alive
0: and that spirit
1: is that that fleshing out of the divine relationship that we have
0: with God and the reason I'm bringing it up here is that this is the this is the I'm going to say this is the point of pastors and priests and bishops and, and, and so forth is to help people just as a trainer helps people build their muscles, right? Just as an educator helps people sharpen their mind. It is the the role of a pastor to, to help people work out the, we had it in today's reading. As a matter of fact, work out your faith. It's that working out that fit, that, that, that that um, I'm going to say, it's very similar to being physically working out. God, God gives us our faith. That's uh, our faith begins just like our muscles come from God, yeah. right? It's not like we generate this within ourselves, but it is upon us to to give attention to it. Just like if we just sit and watch TV all day and we we don't ever work out, we don't ever do anything, we never work our minds, we never work our body, we're things are going to drop off. Right? And so he builds on to this. Uh, he says, no eye sees this, so the body.
1: No reason grasps this, the, the soul. But as it is, Paul says, nothing but folly for the clever, nothing but a stumbling block for the self-righteous saints. So how is it possible that we could perceive or reason ourselves into this? And that's where he says then, there is this man, our life, our salvation, our peace, our righteousness, our redemption, our strength, our wisdom. All of this comes from Christ, that spirit-filled relationship we have. And then this will translate into how he explains the third article of the Apostles' Creed. Where he says, I can't by my own reason or strength, by my own body and soul come to know this, but that the Holy Spirit has brought me to the saving faith through the gospel. It's the gospel that brings us into that spirit-filled life. And
0: and you know we we gain the spirit through prayer. We we ask God for greater faith. Mm-hmm. We we do all that, but the the um you know this is all part of you know having, you know, going to to God and getting our greater faith and, and and growing in
1: in our belief. And he says no one can know anything about any of this unless he hears and believes it through the gospel. It's too far beyond our thinking or reasoning. So he's placed into context why we need a steward, because we need someone that's going to care for this household of faith, and and why do we need to be in this household of faith? Because our spirits long for this, uh, right? In our own bodies or our souls, we, we we stretch, we reach, we try to grasp the things of God, but we struggle with it. And so then the gospel comes and delivers us into this spirit filled relationship. John chapter three, Jesus and Nicodemus are talking, and you know, Nicodemus says, "We we know you've come from God, but we just can't sort this out. What are you doing?" And Jesus says, "Well, unless you're born
0: again." yeah of the spirit, water, and the spirit, and so there's there's a you know going back to and i'm going to try and explain a little more clearly two things first of all is on part of working out our faith is to come into church on Sundays to hear the word you know if if we if we don't have faith enough to get into church then I don't know how we have faith to get into heaven, but yeah. but the you know, to get the faith to come into church to hear the word and 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 work at growing your faith. That's not about sitting in the pew; it's about being in the place where God's word is promised to be shared. Exactly.
1: And so, whether you stand in my pew, sit in my pew, or do jumping jacks, or, <laughs> right, or or watch on TV, you know, I want you to be in a place where you're regularly hearing
0: God's word because God's promised. That his word is transformative and it's it's effective. And if if we don't do that, if we allow our faith and our spirit to become weak, the soul will try and figure things out. And the soul, when the soul tries to figure things out, it's going to start using reason to try to figure things out. And it'll take. Luther says it takes us out of doors. It it leads us to silly things where the first and most obvious thing is, well, I need something to bring to God. He's not going to be satisfied. I, I'm going to have to have something. I need some good works. To, i got to pile up some good works here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go to someone's house for a dinner party, you should bring some wine or something, <laughs> right. right? you got to right. bring something. Right.
1: But here it's a free gift. Come and be glad. The feast is ready. And that's hard to believe without the Word. hmm So God's mysteries are nothing other than good things preached about and through the gospel, and faith alone will grasp and retain this. And so as we think about what responsibility should our pastors have. And one of the things is that they should keep the mysteries of God uh, unveiled and in front of us so that we keep hearing them. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is going to finish our first episode on this second, I'm sorry, the third Sunday in Advent epistle. We have this opportunity to continue looking at it. We've only gotten through the first of four verses in this epistle reading, but we will get there. Grace on Tap is a podcast that depends on listeners. Well, it depends. I mean, Mike and I make sure the podcast happens, <laughs> but what do we depend on? The confidence that we have an audience. So write a review. Uh, go to iTunes, write a review. Uh, if you're on Facebook, when we post new episodes, share the new episode. Uh, let your friends know about us because, uh, in a way, we kind of do depend on you because. Uh, while Mike and I enjoy talking to each other, there's something vibrant
0: to know about knowing we're a part of a larger community as well. Oh, absolutely. Where that, that, there no, two or more are gathered, right? And we so there's two, two of us, now. so we want some more. And we want the more part. We want the more. <laughs> Cheers.